This is a story of one lecturer at Glasgow University and his treatment of six women. It's about a form of abuse that they say involves emotional manipulation and control. It's also about a much wider issue. Why are so few women believed, even when there are multiple complaints about the same member of university staff? Let's start with the six women. They describe how their working relationship with the lecturer changed when they say he crossed the professional line. I think the people who maybe did have some sort of admiration for him were definitely female students. That's Courtney, one of his former undergraduate students. I know from second year there was always some rumours going around. A bit too familiar, a bit too close. It wasn't really a clear boundary. Lauren had dropped out of university, but says the lecturer contacted her through their shared environmental interests. He was very praising to my activism. And I think he kind of used that as a way to find common ground with me as well. Taylor was a second-year undergrad, the youngest of the six women. It's just strange now to think how many times I was crying in his office or was telling him so much about my personal life. If women objected to his behaviour, like meetings in his office with the door closed, his manner changed. Here's Hannah, one of his PhD students. I looked him in the eye and I said, it's inappropriate, these meetings that you're having, and it makes me feel uncomfortable. And from that point, there would be like a collective putting me down. Esther was also a PhD student, but at another university. She met the lecturer at a conference. It started out as intellectual, then it became emotional, and then it became sexual. Emma was a junior lecturer in his department and felt grateful for his interest in her career. I remember thinking at one point early on, either this guy is the most sweetest, caring person I've ever met and I've made a best friend for life, or he's in love with me. The man they're talking about is Dr Ian Shaw. He was then an associate professor in human geography at Glasgow University with an interest in conflict studies. Here he is in 2015, talking about drone warfare. The age of lethal surveillance began in the wake of 9-11. But what is it like to live beneath drones? What does it feel like to see, hear and fear remote predators stalking the skies? We've spoken to six women who say they felt Dr. Shaw was stalking them. This is Al Jazeera Investigates. I'm Deborah Davis. And I'm Alex Howlett. You're listening to Degrees of Abuse from Al Jazeera's iUnit. This is part three of six in this series. We've spent two years researching sexual misconduct by academics. We've spoken to dozens of students and quite a few academics who say, very simply, 
the complaint system fails them. If you haven't yet had the chance, please go back and listen to the first two parts of this series. We tracked the long careers of two professors, both now teaching in England at Oxford University. Despite complaints they were sexist, abusive and frequently drunk, their universities took no action, even when they upheld the complaints. Now we're going to focus on a series of complaints against one lecturer at Glasgow University in Scotland. We'll tell you exactly how the system works, or, more importantly, doesn't work for many women. We're also talking about a different kind of abuse, where a university teacher can draw students into an emotional relationship, and which the women themselves describe as grooming. The story starts in 2018. Dr Ian Shaw is in his 30s and is seen as a bit of a hero to many of his students. He advocated for all of these things that as a child I always wanted to fix and didn't know how to. Courtney started at Glasgow as an undergraduate and has just completed her master's degree. Her special interests include conflict and global migration, also domestic matters, especially green spaces, and encouraging schools to start gardening all areas Dr. Shaw is passionate about. He was like the first person that ever really taught me about the political side of geography, which I like completely like fell in love with. And how he even lectured was really inspiring. You know, he spoke about women's rights a lot. Dr. Shaw also made a point of getting to know his students, especially those he discovered were struggling in any way, like Hannah. I was having a really difficult time after a breakup, and he offered himself to me as a mentor. Ian Shaw was one of her PhD supervisors. They have a far closer relationship with their postgrad students than undergraduates. It was a time when I was really lonely and scared, and didn't really have anyone else around me. So I met with him in his office informally, and there was emails as well, and Twitter messages, and all of this kind of stuff that was about personal elements of my life and his life. He knew a lot about my financial situation because I come from a sort of single-parent working-class background. Kayla is the youngest of the six women we spoke to. It was just me and my mum. I think we talked a lot about like mental health issues as well. I'd been struggling at different points throughout university. Dr. Shaw also came into contact with women who weren't his students through his interest in the environment. That's how he met Lauren, a young activist who was initially inspired by him. I first met Ian Shaw because we were both giving a speech at the September 2019 climate strike in Glasgow. We were both giving speeches to like quite a large audience. He continued contacting me on Twitter because we were both into the activism scene in Glasgow. They met several times for coffee, supposedly to work on a campaign together. But his chat quickly became more personal. Lauren was 19. Oh, you have a very symmetrical face, Lauren. You don't say that stuff to somebody who's like barely not a child. (laughs) He said like, you've got a way with words. And he would call me a rock star, which I thought was always really weird as well. All the women say what started as compliments became harassment. Here's Esther. She was studying at another university and met Dr. Shaw at a conference. 
He said that he had read my paper and he had written a paper based on my work. So at that point, I was in the final part of my PhD. I was writing up and I was very flattered. Esther's PhD focused on austerity. Dr Shaw told her he was also very interested in that issue. He suggested Esther move to Glasgow so he could mentor the next stage of her career. Then the messaging began. You were in my heads and dreams yesterday. P.S. This is Ian Shaw, the tall guy who thinks you're amazing. Those unmistakable Esther eyes. Where are you? I need a Esther selfie. He even recycled similar comments to Emma. Your eyes are so piercing. I feel like you can see my ancestors. Emma was Dr. Shaw's colleague in the geography department, but very much his junior. So it was my first academic job. So I came out of my PhD. I took a career break because I had a kid and I didn't work and I was a mum. And then I managed to get a postdoctoral position, which was one year long. He would say things like, "Oh, that's just textbook Emma brilliance." If I made a suggestion, quite a few times he'd be like, "Oh, I love, love, love this." Like just repetition of the word. He would say, "Just when I thought Emma couldn't get any more awesome." So, would these comments from your lecturer, your supervisor, or your senior colleague be considered inappropriate? In February 2021, Dr. Annabel co-authored a report called "Grooming and Crossing Boundaries," which looked at staff behaviour in higher education. So, if you look at other sectors like social work, medicine. Um, you know, counselling, even religious institutions, they have guidelines and expectations or rules that set the ethical standards for a professional environment. In higher education, these are not nearly as clear as they should be. What would crossing boundaries mean in a university setting? It would mean turning the professional teaching and learning relationship in, or taking actions that mean that that relationship might become an intimate, personal relationship. The six women believe that's what Ian Shaw did. They say he spent an unusual amount of time talking to them in his office. It was me and him in a room where the door was always closed and occasionally locked as well to ensure privacy. Dr. Shaw was supervising Hannah's PhD. She was finding it hard to focus on her work after a recent breakup. That it was very easy for work chat to slide into this completely inappropriate and manipulative conversation. What I looked for in men, what he thought my mental state was. Taylor is the young undergraduate who is still living with her mum and struggling with her studies. I really do mostly remember talking about my home situation. But really, it just became emotional dependency. Did you ever get emotional in those meetings? Yeah, definitely. I could say I probably cried in his office <laughs> a multitude of times. He always had a box of tissues in his office as well. I think 
he wanted to be seen as this sort of protector and caterer. But I think there was something probably a bit more sinister about it because he was in control and it was a control thing. Courtney was the student so impressed by Dr. Shaw's passion for issues she cared about, like global conflict and green spaces. But she echoed what all the women told us, that very quickly, Ian Shaw steered the conversation away from academic matters to his life. And then, very subtly, it's, you know, you'd just be sitting in his office having a conversation about your dissertation or an essay that's due. And he's like, oh yeah, like, I've had a really rubbish week. Like, things went great with my wife. Or, I'm really struggling with my mental health. He was even more explicit with Lauren. She's the 19-year-old activist he'd met at an event on climate change. He said that he was no longer sexually attracted to his wife, but she was still very sexually attracted to him. And that what some couples do is they have a polyamorous relationship. To me, like, really made me feel like he was asking me if I wanted to have sex with him. I obviously very much did not. The PhD student he was supervising, Hannah, found those closed-door chats ever more uncomfortable. I felt kind of dirty. Like, I felt humiliated by it. But simultaneously, like, I had to do it as well. I felt very much like a, a sexualized object in that room, and I had to play that role in order to succeed. Here's Courtney again. Her admiration for Dr. Shaw wasn't shared by other students. I also had male friends who had him as a dissertation supervisor as well. They just thought his treatment of female students was completely different. They thought he was a bit creepy. I think trust was a big thing. They were like, we don't trust him. Um, they were always kind of telling their female friends that they knew were taught by him, just be careful. Dr. Shaw's departmental colleague, Emma, was also becoming wary. I had this strange voice that was like, this guy's dangerous. It just came from nowhere, and I completely dismissed it because there was no evidence to back it up. Only later did Emma discover that Dr. Shaw was sending some weird pictures to women. Esther, the PhD student he was trying to persuade to come to Glasgow, was one unhappy recipient. He started sending photos of himself. So he sent me a photo once of him on his bed. Then he started to send me photos that had his crotch in. So he's fully clothed. They're not pornographic. There's just something very unsettling about them, is there? They're not pornographic, but he would be very strategic in how he took the photos. So he would almost put something on his crotch, a cup or a bar of chocolate one time. Here is how Esther sums up Dr. Shaw's behavior. I think the way in which he increased his intensity, it started out as intellectual, then it became emotional, and then it became sexual. I definitely would call it grooming.
Grooming is something we've heard of in endless scandals, in sport, in the church, even with kids in care. In the UK, the legal term only applies to those under 16, but Dr Annabelle says it's time to recognise it's also happening in universities. Certainly in my research, students have used the word grooming themselves. If a lecturer might be telling a student that they are special and talented, and then there's the absolute classic one, starting to disclose material about their personal life or their sex life. My wife doesn't understand me. And then asking the student questions about their sex life or intrusive questions about their relationships. Just to sort of clarify, if a lecturer starts telling a student about his marital problems, perhaps his mental health, delves into her similar problems with relationships or mental health, that's a pattern that you recognise, is it, of grooming? Yes, I would say so. But does Glasgow University have a policy that recognises grooming and crossing boundaries as unacceptable behaviour? So, if I was a student and I'd become really uncomfortable with how my lecturer was behaving, but I just didn't know if I had any grounds to complain, how would I find out? I'm going to start by typing in Glasgow University code of conduct. Where does that take me? The Senate Office Code of Unacceptable Behaviour. And it says it covers all students and staff. Then we have definition of unacceptable behaviour, aggressive or unreasonable demands. I don't think either of those really fit with what we've heard. I think what we've heard is a lot more subtle and nuanced. There's also comments which discriminate on the basis of sex. Maybe some of the flattering comments about piercing eyes that made women feel uncomfortable. That might count. I'm going to look for crossing boundaries. Crossing boundaries. Go. Oh. Nothing at all in the code of conduct. What if I search generally for grooming? Okay. All this brings up is something to do with horses being groomed, and that's not quite right. I'm just going to give up on the code of unacceptable behaviour. Instead, I'm going to try sexual harassment. So that takes me to support services in the event of sexual assault. But there is a definition of sexual harassment, which is any unwanted behaviour of a sexual nature that makes an individual feel distressed, intimidated or humiliated. Mm, That is getting closer to what we've heard about. Oh, this is confusing. I've now found a completely different policy called the Dignity at Work and Study Policy. Let me see what that says. There are definitions of harassment, including insulting someone, Stalking, touching, standing too close. Nope, not that. Oh, there's a whole list here, but none of it comes close. I've tried doing this several times, and each time it's taken me a different route to different policies and definitions. Each time I've given up because nothing seems to match. And I'm just going to give up completely. Dr. Anna Bull says that matches her research. She wants university policies to specifically include reference to crossing boundaries and grooming. 
I've had many people say that to me. I'm not sure that this was sexual harassment. So I can't even make a complaint or report this behaviour under my university's bullying and harassment policy. So in a sense, if we can label this experience, then we can make it visible to universities so that they can actually deal with it as, as an abuse of power. The six women we spoke to in this episode certainly described Dr Shaw's behaviour as an abuse of power and harassment. Glasgow University said it takes all allegations of harassment seriously and its top priority was the well-being, safety and security of everyone in its community. Dr Shaw told Al Jazeera he was extremely upset at these allegations, which he said were untrue. He called them part of a campaign of bullying and abuse that has had significant negative impacts on his life. He said it caused him to leave his job at the university in 2020, and he referred to the fact that a university investigation found no action should be taken against him, but led to one of his accusers being found guilty of sexual harassment and bullying against him. In the second part of this story, we reveal what happened in that investigation when several of the women complained about him to Glasgow University. One was Esther, the woman he messaged to say she was in his dreams. It's hard to get across the traumatic experience of seeking help through the official processes, through formal complaints procedures, and to receive the kind of response I did. They submitted their evidence to the same office at around the same time, detailing the same kind of experiences. What they went through is the worst elements of the criminal justice system, but without any of the support that the criminal justice system offers victims. We follow the complaints procedure at Glasgow University, what happened to Dr Shaw, and what happened to the women. I was absolutely destroyed. I was just destroyed. Because the outcome... It, it just looked like they'd not even read the evidence that I'd put in. If you want to reach out and speak to someone, we've compiled a list of helplines and support organisations. Details are available on our website, ajiunit.com. Degrees of Abuse is reported by me, Alex Howlett, and Deborah Davies. This episode was produced by Kevin Hurton and audio edited by Craig Pennington and Leo Sofoyanis. Sound mixed by TVC Soho. Joe DeFrias is the executive producer and Phil Reese is Al Jazeera's director of investigative journalism. The second half of this story is available now. Keep listening. And if you haven't already, subscribe to Al Jazeera Investigates, however you listen to podcasts.